We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week we'll be discussing college esports. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice, as all the information is for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Brian Hummel. Brian is the director of esports for Fisher College in Boston and an esports management professor at Emerson College. He also acts as an esports consulting assisting with curriculum development, college program launches, player recruitment, and many other facets. Prior to that, Brian was director of esports at Bay State College in Boston. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Justin. It's a pleasure to be here. It's my pleasure. So to start, tell us about your past esports and gaming experience. What was the first game you played and how did you get into the esports world? Sure, yeah. So the first game I played, I mean, I was playing Sega and all that, you know, the Aladdin games. and um, But the first real game that I got, you know, addicted to gaming was uh, Halo, the first Halo CE to come out. I, uh, I played the campaign from start to finish with my mom. We finished it in two days. And, um, you know, that kind of opened my eyes to everything. And you know, I was pretty good. And um you know, it just kind of took off from there. There was CSGO on the Xbox in 2001, and then um, Splinter Cell. So those games really kind of started to get my passion going. And, um, yeah, it all kind of took off from there. So you're also a pro gamer. So tell us a little about that. What game did you play and how that all happened? Yeah, I was always a Tier 2 competitor. I was never the best. Um, but I had a quick stint in Halo 3 um, for like three months, went to the MLG lands, got paid to do it, and um, never finished top 16, but it was a good experience, got to meet all those pros. Um, but the real the real thing that got me into the business side and you know making money was, there was a game called Destiny that came out when I was in college. And um, I just happened to be probably top five player best player in the world for pvp and i was also good at you know raids and stuff so i met this web developer and uh he's like hey you know can you give me a carry in trials and this and that so i carried him he gave me like 50 bucks i'm like wow i just made 50 bucks for like 30 40 minutes of work this is awesome and then uh, a couple weeks went by and he's like Hey man, we should make a website for this. Like, there's there's so many people that want to do this. There's a couple million players, and you know, so everything led to another. We created this website, and you know, we had 
thousands of clients over a three-year period of time and you know made a ton of money had people playing for us um you know over 30 40 people at once you know grinding trials and and raid carries and you know we had monthly subscriptions for us so it was it was a wild ride. That was a fun time in college. That's really what opened my eyes to, you know, how much money you can actually make in the gaming industry. And, you know, previous to that, I was like 10 years old selling gold on RuneScape. So I already had a little bit of a taste of, you know, making some money, but it was just a weird way of how it all came together. Amazing. So old school hustling, trying to, you know, use what around you. So I really am down with that. So now you're the director of esports for Fisher College. So tell us about you know their esports program. How did it start? What games you compete in, and just you know a little about what goes on there. Sure. So I started Fisher College's program this July, actually. So we've only been around for a little less than a year. Um, it started because I I was at a you know another program, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, and I saw you know, lack of financial stability and investments for the future. So I wanted to find myself and, you know, any students that might want to follow me a better option. And um, I saw a job posting for a part-time director position two blocks away. And uh, I ended up just pitching them this idea, you know, like an all-in idea and, um, you know, how it can be sustainable. And, you know, after two weeks of negotiating, uh, and this is, I actually had quit my job before I even found this. So it was kind of on the whim and, um, they were all in, I met with the board and the president and they decided to put me in the presidential office and, um, you know, it just worked out really well. So, you know, with that, I was able to hire my old staff members, um, cause they ended up getting out about a month after me. They, they saw the same decline and, um, you know, for the games that we compete in, I think we're one of the few programs in the nation. I think there's only two others that compete in as many games as us. Um, you know, from Rocket League, League of Legends, Valorant, Overwatch, Hearthstone, Super Smash Brothers, Fortnite. I mean, literally any game that you can compete in, we're probably in that. And if we're not, we're building a roster for it for the next season. So, you know, it's it's been a great start. We've had great competitive success. So how do you kind of determine what games you compete in and, you know, maybe what tournament or leagues you join? You know, obviously you said you guys join all the games that are out there. Sure. So the way I I do it, I have kind of a structure scholarship program. So as you know, as an attorney, the IP rights and, you know, publisher sponsored games are a lot different than like a conference sponsored game. So, for example, I, I'm obviously always going to have a League of Legends, an Overwatch, and Valorant and Rocket League, right? Those are publisher-sponsored games. I can guarantee the kids four years of play. I know that the investment in the scholarship is well worth it. And those tend to be the ones that I can give out more money to. Um, and then, you know, for the other games, it's really interest. It's, you know, how many other schools are competing in this? Is there competition enough to justify the expense on the back end? And, you know, if there's only 50 schools in it, that's fine with me. You know, we'll, we'll dominate over those other 50 schools. So um, the, the non-publisher sponsored games, I won't give full scholarships to, though, because I, I can't see myself putting, you know, $100,000 a year into a student that, might only be able to play that game for a year, but they will stay on their scholarship anyway. So kind of a little bit how I pick and choose the games. 
Interesting. I mean, I think that's like a you know unique aspect where you're kind of trying to predict what the future is going to be for certain games. Where you know just because something is big right now, as we know, two months, three months, six months, you know, Splitgate comes and goes very quickly. Exactly. No, it's it's scary too because like I had recruit, I had like 15, 20 Fortnite players, right, and they were competing in play versus and. You know, for a good solid year and a half, there was constant competition and then bam, they leave the college space and there's nothing. And then, you know, waiting for the other companies to get licensing and then it's just it's kind of dull. So, you know, it's you never know what the future will hold with those types of things. Interesting. So in addition to, I mean, working at the school there, you also teach an esports management course at Emerson College. So tell us a little bit about that course. What else do you kind of cover in the class? Sure. I'll actually tell you a little background of how I got into it. I think it's kind of funny. I was uh, was working as a property manager um, at the same time that I was working at Bay State for the first start of my career. And um, one of the tenants I rented to ends up being the sports comm department uh, chair. And she knew that I worked in esports and they had a, a teacher there that left the same day classes started. So fortunately and unfortunately, my, my first day of teaching was the first day I was approached to teach these classes. So um, my first class ever there was uh, intro to esports class, which was you know pretty easy to cover. I did have to create all the curriculum myself that, uh, that day one. So I came in there a little unprepared to say the least. But uh, the management classes and... Um, you know, events classes that I teach there, I really do a lot of hands-on learning. So, you know, for my last semester that I taught, I was doing esports events. So from week one, it was, it was about getting, you know, just as much information as I could into those students' brains of like an intro to esports class, because some of them don't have to take the prerequisite. And then from weeks two to 16, it's, you know, we're setting up a full live event, recruiting players to play in it, sponsors, donors, you know, the whole nine yards. So I do a lot of uh, experiential learning. I I want them to get hands-on because I think that's what's most valuable. They're not going to learn from reading a textbook about esports. It's so boring, right? So um, they were able to do production for it. We taught them, you know, basic OBS skills, casting, um, how to negotiate a venue space, you know, the whole nine yards. And and, uh, I think they really enjoyed it. So that's kind of my teaching style. I was never a good student um, throughout high school and, you know, college, I did a lot better, but, you know, I just want to keep them engaged. And it seemed like everybody was super excited and, you know, happy with the outcome. Amazing. So someone who wrote a textbook, you know, uh, I'll take that with a grain of salt, but yeah, I definitely agree is, you know, especially in these really, you know, new and evolving worlds, being able to have more of a practical approach, being able to kind of get out there, you know, on the fly in the streets kind of doing it is a lot you know better and a lot more immersive than reading about it you know you read about it because you need the background you need the facts you need to understand what you're talking about but until you do you don't really know absolutely you know i agree and hey i'm not knocking a textbook i'll tell you this much though these students all really want to work in the industry right and i think textbooks are good for teaching individuals that might not want to be in it or are just you know, trying to understand it better. A lot of these kids already, you know, knew the basics. So 
it was uh, a way around it. I will say I, I do use the textbooks, though, for the intro side of things and the management side, so I'm not going to harp on that. <laughs> okay, well, good. I'm glad we're somewhere in the middle. But, yeah, I think that that's you know, one thing I notice you know, teaching these classes that – a lot of them are really in it. Like they're really in it and they could really talk about whatever game or whatever scene they really follow. Exactly. I mean, I know you have a lot of my students and those kids are diehard, you know, esports fans. So it's like they might even teach you a thing or two yes, on I some subjects. I would say that there know? are definitely new things I learn every semester from different students, like about whole new games and economies and histories and, you know, stuff that only if you're in the scene, in the scene evolving that you really know. No, exactly. I couldn't say it better myself. I mean, I learned from these kids every day, so it's amazing. So, so prior to working at Fisher College, you worked at Bay State College in a similar role. So what did you kind of learn from your previous experience that you're kind of now incorporating into Fisher College? And, you know, how were you able to kind of evolve from that position to this one? Sure. So Bay State and Fisher differ a lot. One was a for-profit, one was a non-profit. But what I got out of Bay State was really understanding how to navigate the higher administration world and, you know, going through the various channels, whether it's admissions, financial aid, or, you know, just getting something simple as placing an order jersey approved. It really gave me all the basic tools. Um, I was able to make mistakes there. Um, you know, and mistakes that I made there, I don't have to carry over to another program. And, you know, with that, it, it really set me up for success. But, you know, the, the, there's a big difference between the two. And, and I want to let it be known that, you know, Bay State was my baby, you know, that was my heart and soul. And then, you know, it was sad leaving. So, you know, what I learned from it really was, how to run a business and how to make money because um, they weren't doing so well. And, you know, esports was a way to obviously generate new rev- more revenue for a, a for-profit school. And, and we did quite a fantastic job at it. But um, what I learned is that whether you're for-profit, non-profit, state run, it's always about the money at the end of the day. Schools need money to survive and, you know, Bay State really taught me how to formulate a, a real, concisive business plan and a sustainable model that, you know, I believe can work at any school if, if you know, the right person's in charge. So, you know, it taught me a lot of things, and I was able to make mistakes that I don't have to make anymore. Amazing, right? That's the learning process that we, you know, kind of were talking about with this practical experience. It's like until you ran a program and built it and made those mistakes, and like you said, oh, I signed up a kid for a game that. A year later, it doesn't exist anymore, but he still has three more years on his scholarship where he's no longer able to compete unless he changes a game, et cetera, you know, which obviously we know isn't always that easy. Exactly. And it's not fair to anyone at the end of the day. You know, they come to do something and if it's not offered, then, you know, you, you kind of feel like you failed them. So it's so this kind of trade-offs. leads to, you know, some of the other stuff you're working on. So you actually are consulted in the collegiate space. So what does that entail? And, you know, what are some of the past work you've done? Sure. So, you know, a lot of it is schools trying to get minors or majors approved in their departments and how to navigate it. So really helping them with their feasibility studies. Um, you know, a lot of the things that I've worked on aren't really even coming to fruition probably until the next 
you know, three to six months, probably all the September, you'll see about 30 or 40 new schools with, you know, esports academics and varsity programs and things like that. Um, the other side of my consultant really comes on the recruitment, retention, and just launching a program. So I, I honestly believe that I have one of the best, if not the best, um, business models for esports in in terms of revenue generation, profitability, and sustainability. You know, with five and ten year projections that have worked at over ten schools now. So. You know, with that, it's it's an easy sell giving these schools like real case studies to look at and say like, hey, this program had X amount of students at this tuition price. This is very similar demographic to what you're looking for. I think we can replicate this, you know, things of that nature. So it's it's really just coming in and giving them, you know, and then obviously hiring people that are qualified. Um, I've actually got a big project that I'm working on with a, a pretty big university down the street from me right now that I, I can't disclose yet. However, you know, that's going to be, I think my biggest competitor for both recruitment and competition wise that they, they're going all in all in they're they're doing the, the full on Brian Hummel model that I wish I could have, you know, but, um, you know, it's just interesting to see the different you know, concepts that these schools want. And um, it's really just educating them too. A lot of them just have absolutely no idea what esports gaming and, you know, the whole industry is. They just don't get it. So it's really where I come in. So what are some, what are some suggestions that you have for maybe courses or curriculum that current lacking or that you think maybe would be beneficial or that the students kind of want, you know? I feel like there's a lot of similar courses and I don't necessarily know if they address everything or maybe they do. What do you, you know, what do you think? I mean, I, I think the, the traditional route that schools go right now is like the business side of things or sports management. Right. But I think what we're really lacking on is the production broadcasting and, and multimedia side of things. Um, I think the only school that really does something like that is full sale. But I, I don't believe they really have too big of a program for esports specific, let's say. Um, but if you look on the job market, you know, within gaming and esports, uh, I'll tie the two together always. Um, every job you see is for producer, you know, uh, senior producer, executive producer, broadcaster, talent, you know, that kind of stuff. And and I think that's the next generation because. You know, as you know, like, I mean, you manage a bunch of talent. Content creation is the biggest part of this new era, right? And and that's how these, these companies will make money is, you know, broadcasting and content. So I really think that's the next wave of what we need to get into. Definitely. I definitely see your point with, you know, being able to kind of develop that back-end approach and learn how to, you know, create content that's interesting and you know, what do they say? Like munchable. That's like this, you know, snackable, right? That's the word. These snackable bites of 13 second clips that tell a whole 20 minute story. And it's like being able to do that is an art and it's not just something you just figure out. Exactly. And, and, you know, like all these kids are like already have these base tools to do it. They're doing it for themselves. And, you know, it's a tangible skill that they can bring to any industry. You know, it doesn't just have to be gaming and esports. So, you know, even real estate companies or attorneys, like you want to make a video, you know, those are probably the best people to hire. So absolutely. So 
I know we kind of touched on a little bit. So tell us about, you know, the esports player recruitment process. How does it work? And, you know, are you involved in it? And is this a new business that needs to be developed? You know, how do you see it changing over time? Yeah, so I'll I'll jump around on this. I, I'm, you know, heavily involved in recruitment right now. That's not to say that, you know, in the next few months I, I probably won't be. I'm making some big hires to help on the recruitment side of things so I can really focus on the business side. Um, as far as businesses in there and like creating a new model, I really only know of two that do it and only one of them does it pretty decently, which is, you know, stay plugged in. Um, outside of that, I'd say 95% of my recruitment is through Discord and Discord servers. And the other 5% is through, I'll say, you know, 4% is through Twitter. And then the rest is just organic leads, right? Um, so like, for example, I'll join a Fortnite server and get a, you know, a role as a college recruiter and there's 500,000 people in there. I'll just get a post and bam, there's leads, you know, it's, I think esports, and I see people complaining, like, it's so hard to recruit esports players and students and this and that. And I can't offer what other schools are doing. And I, I kind of laugh because I think it's probably the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. You're selling a good education. You give a kid a scholarship. Granted, they can still pay $30,000 and still feel good about themselves, you know, and I just laugh because I, I think it's laziness from other people. But, um, you know, as far as like the process for me, a lot of it is, you know, I'll get a lead and sometimes I'll reach out. It depends on the game, but I've got coaches for every game. So I'll have them get in a call with the student. Basically, they'll take down notes, skill level, what they want to be, where do we see them fitting on a roster. And and I'm kind of like the closer. I come in with the final conversation saying, you know, hey, we'd like to have you in our program and this and that. And here's, you know, a baseline of what I think we can offer you. And, you know, let's get everything in before we can formally offer you. And, you know, it's case closed usually after that. It's I believe out of all the leads we've gotten that have turned into applications, um, it was 87% actually came to the school. So it's, it's crazy numbers that you see in esports and in my program specifically, but I've been seeing that universally. So recruitment's pretty easy for esports. Interesting. So it's really just kind of like you're going to where, you know, high school students and, you know, college age individuals might be and being, Hey, we're offering this. If you're interested, reach out. And it's just kind of, you have people that are already playing this game at a high level in, in order to be on one of these servers to even know how to join it. Exactly. Yeah. And the, and the cool thing about us too is like, yeah, we're super hyper competitive focused, but you know, we'll take all skill levels. That doesn't mean like, you know, yeah, I have a full challenger league of Re legends roster, but I've also got a gold and platinum roster that we throw them in like the emergent league leagues of NECC and, you know, they still have a good time and then they learn from our good players, you know? So and that's where I see the actual player development happen is, you know, I can't teach some of the best in the world how to be better, right? Like they got to figure that out on their own. But but the guys that aren't there yet, they, they learn so much from these other, other students that they're around. And I think that's the big draw to, you know, our program is, you know, whether they're current pros or ex-pros or just top 100 on the leaderboard, these other students get to learn from them and be around them and they get to see that work ethic, so. Amazing. So what's advice you have for anyone trying to work in the esports business? Uh, don't if you want to have a life. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm right, kidding. It's all consuming. 
It is. I mean, uh, I'll be working from 9am to 5pm, take a couple hours and then keep working. And the wife's like, what are you doing? You playing like games? Grinding. No, I'm, I'm grinding. I'm working, you know, trying to collect that, that rack 80, you know, as my <laughs> kids call it. They always say that rack 80. I don't know why. It's got to be a meme or something. Those but, kids, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, as far as, you know, getting into the industry, it's just network, you know, you're not going to start out at the top, you know, and you got to work your way from the bottom, make connections, be friendly, but like really cherish those connections. When you meet somebody who's specifically interesting, um, keep in touch with them, learn about them, ask them questions. Cause you know, I, I knew really nothing about college esports until I just dove head deep into it. I was asking questions to directors who aren't even in the space anymore back in, you know, 2017, 2018. And, um, a lot of people helped me along the way. I learned a lot and then I formulated my own opinions and my own ideas. And, you know, now people come to me for advice. So it kind of comes full circle. And as long as you immerse yourself in it, give yourself a good two, three months, just navigating it. And I think you can understand really any side of the industry. Definitely. So what's your favorite part about working in the esports space? Oh, the freedom. Um, you know, I get to I get to network with people in all different industries and talk to people, you know, with different backgrounds. I mean, to be honest with you, I got into gaming because I um, I grew up in a household that wasn't the best household. I had a lot of you know substance abuse in my family, and so like thrown on the headset was my escape. And um, what what I really love about being in this industry is. I find a lot of kids coming into my program with, with similar experiences as me or, you know, hardships and things like that. So, you know, seeing the smile on their face and like the attitude that changes over like the next six months to a year when you're really working with these kids or students, I shouldn't say kids, they're, they're young adults. Um, it feels really rewar- rewarding. Um, I've, I've never felt more rewarded in a job in my life than, you know, seeing a kid graduate that literally was like, I have no money to my name. I don't even know my parents. And, you know, I, I just want to play video games and get a degree. And, and you know, seeing my first student go through that and walk down that, you know, aisle was just, I cried a little bit. So, you know, it's, that's the stuff that I'm in it for. That's really the reason. Well, that's amazing. And, you know, it's great to see people like you're out there trying, you know, champion the good fight. So, I'm sure everyone appreciates that. So, you know, to kind of bring this towards the end, what's the future for Fisher College's program? Um, you know, our future is looking bright. So it's actually funny you ask this because a bigger future just opened up. We were we were planning this facility that we were going to do in our old student center. And it um, just happens that it, it won't be quite big enough. So looks like we're – we're in the uh, proposal stages from companies and vendors and looking for leasing options for a brand new massive state-of-the-art facility within a, a two block walking distance um, looking at something about 15,000 square feet and um, you know the whole nine yards got some very big partners coming on board with this so I'm super excited for that I think that's really the future is you know those types of home stands where you know, you can really foster the grassroots and the high school and, you know, really just get the community involved. So that's where we're heading. We're going big, uh, dreaming big and going all in on it. 
Amazing. Well, that sounds great. It's it's always great to see schools that are really kind of getting behind it and really putting their money behind it. So what's the future of college esports? You know, how big can it get and how does that happen? I think college esports can get really big. I think it's you know, really what we talk about all or what I talk about all the time is the enrollment cliff that's happening. And over these next five years, you're going to see a lot of colleges shut down if they can't be agile and, and figure out a way to, you know, boost recruitment. So, you know, I see the schools that are staying alive, you know, outside the big D1 schools with 100,000 students, you know, you can cross that off your list. But, you know, the small to medium sized schools, they're going to get involved in esports. They're they're going to have a slow and steady investment and they're going to see the opportunity for national outreach and um, national exposure. I mean, they'll get like a program like Maryville, right? They accredit, what is it, like 600 or 700 students at the university just because of esports, but they only operate a program with 20 students. So, you know, the outreach that you can get from this is, is massive. So like as far as the future, you know, 10 years down the line, I see you know, probably 20, 30 schools at least with with pretty big facilities that are community focused where they're the homestands for traveling. And, um, you know, eventually I hope that it is a true path to pro. I, I hope that the publishers like, like Riot Games specifically, you know, the head college lead of it says, see um, all isn't intended to be a path to pro, but, you know, most of the people from NA getting signed are coming from college teams. So, you know, hope to really change that perspective. Um, and honestly, lastly, I, I see professional organizations partnering with schools um, to offer academic curriculum, content creation, those types of things, and and keeping themselves afloat. It's a, it's a sustainable revenue model. And I think what the thing is that, you know, the, like you saw the certificate come out and that got bashed, but I think there's good intentions behind it if you get the right people. So like, you know, you get a company like 100 Thieves to go in and partner with a school and say, hey, we're going to offer accredited classes for this certificate content creation program. And let's just say like Valkyrie encouraged JD are teaching it. You're going to get 10, 20,000 people in there. That's going to get you 50 to $100 million in a year. And I think that's where college esports kind of goes to is the academic side on top of competition working with professional orgs to create this, you know, huge revenue stream for people that actually want to get involved. And, and it's not a cash grab. It, they're actually getting the education that they want. And um, so just partnering with tier one orgs, I think that's the future. Amazing. Well, all you tier one orgs out there, will have to make that happen. Um, so I try to end each episode with my three questions. So what's your favorite game to watch? Oh, my favorite game to watch. I get I get super excited watching Rocket League, except it gives me terrible anxiety, so I'm going to have to go with League of Legends because I know if the game's won or lost from the start. <laughs> um, what's your favorite game to play? My favorite game to play right now? Um, I was addicted to Halo for a while, but I just started getting into League of Legends, so I'll give it a 50-50 between Halo and League of Legends. Okay, so what's your favorite video game character? Ooh, that's a tough one. Video, uh, you know what? No, it's not. Master Chief. Uh-huh, right? Game set max. Easy. We got that one. Yep, exactly. Um, so this is amazing. You know, thank you so much for joining us. Tell everybody where they can connect with you and find out what's going on at Fisher College. 
Absolutely. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Brian Hummel. I don't know the names, but I'm sure I'll pop up there. And on Twitter, it's little underscore B underscore man. That's my gamer tag. Don't hate. I've had it since 2001 when my uh, family used to call me B man. So <laughs> Amazing. So again, this was so great. So thanks everybody again for tuning in and make sure to follow me on Twitter, Justin J-E-S-Q and check Apple Podcasts for all our past episodes. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.